Welcome to Schneps Connects. I'm your host, Josh Schneps. I'm happy to have on the show today two of the leaders overseeing Brooklyn Navy Yard. The yard is full of history. It dates back to 1801 and has certainly evolved over the years. The property is owned by New York City and stretches over 300 acres through the neighborhoods of Vinegar Hill Dumbo, Clinton Hill Fork Green, and Williamsburg. The Navy Yard currently serves as a major hub of economic activity with a very wide range of tenants and industries. My guests today are both Johanna Greenbaum, who's the Chief Development Officer at the Brooklyn Navy Yard, and David Ehrenberg, who's President and CEO at the Brooklyn Navy Yard Development Corporation. John and David, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. So David, I would love for you to share a little bit about your role and the role of uh, the Development Corporation. Sure. So as you mentioned, the property um, is owned by the city of New York, who purchased it from the federal government when um, the facility was shut down as a federal shipyard, which it had been for 150, 160 years. Um, it's now leased to us. We are a mission-driven, not-for-profit landlord who acts as the uh, developer and manager of the yard. Um, so there's a lot of real estate um, development and operations that we're responsible for. But as a mission-driven not-for-profit, we also have a social mission, which is really around creating high-quality, middle-class jobs and connecting local residents and really all, all Brooklynites to those economic opportunities. Um, so I oversee um, you know, the, the full gamut of, of, those, um, of those activities uh, from our finances and, um, and real estate development all the way to our workforce development and educational partnerships. And I have to say, there's been a tremendous amount of development that, um, that has gone on there and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that. But uh, Joanne, I would love if you could share your role and maybe give a little bit more background on the, the history and, and scope of Brooklyn Navy Yard. Absolutely. So I'm the Chief Development Officer, as you mentioned. Um, I primarily oversee our real estate uh, functions ranging from our development um, portfolio. Um, and we've brought a bunch of new space online even in the last 18 months. Uh, we can talk about all of those exciting projects. And um, uh, so from the development um, aspect, uh, all the way through leasing and bringing new companies uh, that are um, trying to find affordable space and stay in New York City. And that's really like our goal is to, is to be a safe haven for um, companies that are uh, important to the New York City economy and often um, pushed out of other neighborhoods or unable to find a foothold. Um, they're great employers. We have a great ecosystem here um, where companies really collaborate and work with each other. Um, they range from, you know, jewelry makers to drone companies, and, and yet they find lots of ways to work together um, uh, and across uh, the 400 companies, 400, 450 companies that are on the yard. In terms of the history, um, we're actually celebrating our 220th birthday day next month. Um, Happy birthday. Uh, thank you. <laughs> We're old. Um, uh, the yard was uh, founded, as you said, in 1801 um, by the outgoing John Adams administration and had a really vibrant history um, for about 150 years as a center, um, as, a, as a naval center in New York City. Um, the, this, uh, the yard acted as 
um, you know, built a number of important ships, but also acted as the Navy's innovation lab, inventing um, lots of different new boats. Um, Ether was actually developed at the Naval Hospital, um, which is which the building still stands today and is being renovated. Um, and obviously, during World War II, uh, in particular, the yard served as uh, a huge part, uh, a huge employment um, center for Brooklyn and New York City. There were over seventy thousand people who came to work at the yard every day, um, three shifts and twenty-four hours a day, um, in order to ramp up to uh, ramp up the uh, in, in anticipation of. Uh, the United States entering World War II. Um, at that time, we became known as the Can-Do Shipyard um, because something very incredible, you know, in incredibly many boats were produced here, built here, repaired here, um, including some of the ones that you probably remember from your eighth grade history textbooks, including like the Arizona and the Missouri. Um, that, you know, there's a very vibrant history um, and they're in the, you know, in the 1800s and 1900s, and and over the last several decades, there's been a revival um, where we've uh, built the yard, particularly in terms of the folks that are employed here and the companies that are thriving here. Um, over the last decade or so, um, you know, when the Navy left the shipyard in 1966, employment basically had dwindled down to 10,000. Uh, people and then overnight there were zero people working here and um, the yard has always been uh, or for generations has been an important part of the New York City economy um, and an important place where people get their uh, first foothold into the workforce and over the last 10 years we've been working very hard to like restore that legacy and build upon it. And you have a beautiful museum on site that talks to some of the history there, if I'm not mistaken. A hundred percent. Closed right now um, due to COVID, but uh, we have Building 92 along Flushing Avenue um, that is a former um, uh, admiral's house, and it uh, tells a lot about the naval history of the yard as well as um, the modern day history of manufacturing and production that goes on behind um, you know, over across the 300 acres of the Navy Yard. So one of the things I think is really important for our listeners to know, and, and I would love for you to share the types of incentives that are available to prospective tenants and what qualifications do they potentially need in order to qualify? Yeah, I can take that. Um, so the, the primary incentive, um, I would say, there are really Two. Um, one is that we are a nonprofit landlord uh, that really judges ourselves on the number of jobs that we're creating. And thus, we're really judging ourselves on the success of our private sector tenants um, in, in creating jobs because we don't create any jobs directly ourselves. And so you really have a landlord that is through good and bad times um, trying to work with you for the betterment of your company, not necessarily just to get the rent paid. Um, that can take on a lot of different flavors um, for most of our tenants. You know, we still focus on the modern manufacturing and industrial sectors. Um, what that means for those kinds of companies is that we are offering rents which are affordable to them. It may not be market-based rents in similar neighborhoods of, of Brooklyn, 
um, and we will, you know, we will sign leases at lower rents than than some other property owners would if it means that we can get a tenant who is creating quality middle class jobs, but who may not quite be able to afford that last piece of the premium. Um, but it goes way beyond just the rent per square foot that we charge. Um, a big part of it for our tenants is also the certainty. Um, if you're a manufacturer uh, in New York, certainly pre-COVID and, and even now, it's hard to find long-term leases um, because you know there's the constant possibility of rezoning or just a conversion of the use that your landlord may be thinking about. Uh, and so we offer long-term stable occupancy, which means that our tenants can invest in the technology and equipment and install that in their space to stay at the forefront of their, um, of their industry. And we see that all the time. We will sign a long-term lease with a manufacturer who then turns around and buys a $500,000 piece of equipment and installs it in our, in our building. We see that as a great success, but if you're only offered a one, two, three-year lease out in the private market, it's very hard to make that kind of long-term investment. Um, the other primary benefit as we see it is the community of other tenants in the yard that you're kind of um, referenced. Uh, the real strength of the yard is in the diversity and quality of um, the tenants you find um, you find there. Uh, you know, it's hard exactly to describe it. Um, we intentionally go after um, a real diversity, so it's not like we have you know one industry that is um, dominant in the yard, but we think it's that diversity of kind of like-minded, but not identical tenants that is at the core of our strength. It, there are lots of B2B opportunities that our tenants take um, advantage of, but there's also just a je ne sais quoi, frankly, about being in a, in, uh, a central business district of other companies that are kind of at this intersection of hardware and technology. Our, our tenants, they don't, they don't aspire to be in Midtown Manhattan, that they don't, feel like they belong, they don't have the same business business opportunities, they want to be surrounded by like-minded companies, but diverse companies, and that's what they find at the yard. Um, there are also a whole panoply of tax incentives that the, the city and state offer um, that quite, can be quite important. All of the incentives that are available in the outer boroughs are available at the Navy Yard. Uh, we are also a federal opportunity zone, um, which for some of our tenants is important. Um, and you know we help we help tenants take advantage of those of those benefits as well. I have to imagine also versus Manhattan, you just have massive floor plates and, mm -hmm. and ceiling heights that are just not available in many other Absolutely. places. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. we're we're definitely seeing that today in terms of our leasing, especially as um, people are more sensitive to their commute and more interested in micro mobility options um, to get from work to home and home to work. Um, that has definitely been uh, a natural advantage that we have. Um, I would love to just add very quickly to what David said. Um, we have one company here on the yard. Um, I think this is an example of the collaboration that is between the Brooklyn Navy Yard and our, and our companies um, who started as like a five person product design firm um, like a decade plus ago and now they, you know, they, they work, um, they create um, military gear for elite, you know, armed forces units. 
Um, and while they started as like a very small thousand square foot studio, they quickly um, gained some success. And now they're in over a hundred thousand square feet in a building that we renovated um, to accommodate them. Um, and any time that they've ever needed to grow or find new space or find overflow space, you know, we work with um, our companies to really um, make sure that they have that real estate isn't the thing that they're concerned about, um, that they have the space to grow, that they have the space to spread their wings. Um, and as David mentioned, continue to bring on um, uh, more, more employees and provide more opportunity to the borough and to the city. Um, and we can talk about this a little bit more um, uh, when we talk about PPE, but in terms of collaboration, I, you know, creators really do want to be around other creators and they find ways to collaborate um, and benefits from being in a community of like-minded folks. Um, we have a company on the yard, um, Tarform. They are an electric motorcycle company. Um, so they build a very, I'm not personally, I swore to my parents that I wouldn't ride a motorcycle, but it's a very beautiful mm -hmm. motorcycle. Um, that is eco-friendly and sustainable and entirely electric. And yet it has all of the haptics and, and all of the sensation of riding a you know, Harley or a, or a, a very high-end bike. Um, they, when they were developing their prototype, they um, needed help molding the seat and like figuring out how to create a, the, the seat. Um, they worked with one of our production and architecture firms um, to create the mold. And then they worked with another company to create a sustainable um, um, and ethical non-animal-based leather. Um, so you have like the coolness and the design, um, but in it taking it to this sort of new marketplace and, and new um, uh, sort of where the economy in, these, in this type of product is today. Um, and there's, for you know, there's, 10 stories or 25 stories we could tell you that are like that, um, but that hopefully gives you a sense of the um, community and why people, why companies are compelled to be here. That's great. I mean, listen, I think everybody believes in having an ecosystem of people working together, but that is an effort. I'm sure it took an effort and time to be able to do it. You know, yeah. you mentioned how um, the Navy Yard was established, the wartime effort brought all the jobs there. I'm hopeful the federal government and then trickling down to the state and city will treat the pandemic like a war effort in terms of production, whether it's PPE, whether it's needles or whether it's the vaccines themselves. Can you share um, what role some of your tents have played in this whole um, manufacturing related to the pandemic? Um, absolutely. I think we, um, David and I were both extremely involved as, as were our extended teams. Um, you know, if we, rewind to March and April of 2020 um, when, when you know, I, I'll say I have some embarrassment in admitting this, but I think everybody thought, you know, oh, if I need something, I'll just click and order it online from Amazon or from whoever else. And I think we all quickly realized that you couldn't do that um, in, in spring of 2020, that you yeah. couldn't get masks, you couldn't get face shields, our hospitals couldn't get um, the appropriate gowns for our for first responders and medical workers, and uh, we were in in New York um, worried about ventilators and respirators, and those are all products that, in a matter of days, 
um, and they each have their own story of collaboration and production. But in a matter of days, our um, Navy Yard companies came together often um, with us acting as a catalyst um, to introduce them or help them through uh, the approvals process and making, you know, making sure that they're producing the types of things that the city actually needed. Um, but the, all those products, face shields, uh, hospital gowns, respirator ventilators, ultimately, um, you know, more retail uh, face masks, which have become the new accessory of 2020, 2021. All of those things um, were produced and are produced uh, now at the yard. And they were obviously not products that our companies were making uh, in February, 2020. Um, I, I would say that like what was most inspiring for me is that these companies, they do other things, but they are creative, they are innovative, they are entrepreneurial, and they're also committed. They have a civic spirit. So, you know, when everybody was at home, um, uh, they came in and they made prototypes and they, uh, I'll just take the example of the hospital gown for a moment. Um, that military com um, garment company that we discussed, Cry, and a high-end fashion company that's also on the yard um, called Lafayette 148 came mm -hmm. together. They, we got them, David got them actually a hospital gown, like a just one out of the pile from a hospital. Um, they ripped it apart, turned it into a pattern, created a technical pack, did, um, did testing on the materials and our, you know, our combination of their team and our teams um, uh, drove it all around New York City um, in order to get it approved by, by the Department of Health and everyone that needed to sign off. And they went into production on it, at, at the yard alone. I think we produced 250,000 hospital gowns. Their pattern wow. and technical pack went on to produce uh, you know, I think well over a million gowns for New York City uh, in different shops um, with different um, people sewing and, and whatnot. Um, that's just one example. I, David, I know you have um, several, the yard has several more. Yeah, David, do you wanna share any other of those stories? Because that's a great thing for people to hear. I mean, I think with the advent of technology, right? And, and the advancement, I mean, I think it cannot be underestimated how important manufacturing is. Yeah, I mean, I think, um... I mean, like China said, there are um, a number of other examples, but um, I think the the general point is that these are um, really high tech manufacturing companies. Mm -hmm. And so those kinds of pivots and adjustments are, first of all, what they do all day, every day in their general product development. These are not highly specialized small manufacturers that have made the same widget the same way for 20 years, they're constantly reinventing their own products. And so when this moment came up where we needed, you know, entrepreneurial folks to step out of their comfort zone and engineer and design new products, uh, it was second nature to them. Um, you know, we heard from hospitals that the mask that was manufactured at the yard was the best mask they've ever worn, even, you know, not made in an emergency. Um, so, you know, it's a real testament to that. It's also, you know, kind of a vignette 
to the fact that when I think most New Yorkers think about manufacturing, it's pretty easy to think that, you know, manufacturing has gone from New York because it's these huge plants in a greenfield somewhere in, you know, um, out of state or perhaps even out of the country. But the reality is that what's happened in the last 20 years is that in a way, manufacturing has become democratized in a way that it never had before. And if you have four pieces of equipment, CNC routers, laser cutters, vacuum formers, and a few others uh, that are in general, you know, 10 by 10 foot pieces of equipment, you can have a factory floor. And so in the size of a New York City apartment, apartment, you can have a factory floor now that can manufacture the majority of products out there. Now, we don't manufacture those at scale, right? Like that doesn't happen in New York, but you can have a fully functioning factory in a very small amount of space, which means that it can come back into high cost cities because you don't have to pay for 300, 400, 500,000 square feet of space to set up one of these old school manu uh, factories that you might think about with long assembly lines and you know one piece of equipment to do one thing and a different piece of equipment to do another thing. Mm -hmm. So that's really led a, led a resurgence that of manufacturing back into New York. Now, New York has largely one thing to offer the world economy and has for much of its history, which is talent. And so it's really the combination of that return of manufacturing to the city and the talent the city currently and always has been able to offer that's kind of where, where the Navy Yard really fits. And so you get these product companies that can manufacture in the city, but they've got to be extraordinarily high value add and drawing off the talent base that the city has to offer. And so that's where you get these really high, um, high value add manufacturers. I, have to, I often say, you know, our companies are part manufacturers, part design company, part technology company. Um, and they're a bit of all three. So that's what makes them long-term stable in New York. It's what attracts them to a place like the Navy Yard, but also makes it so that in a moment of crisis, like we just had, they really can turn around. You know, one other example I would give is, is the ventilator. So there was a time in New York where, you know, we were very worried that we were gonna run out of ventilators. Mm -hmm. And in the spring, there were moments in individual hospitals where they were running out of ventilators. And Thank goodness that was you know, an issue for a couple hours here and there, and it never became a citywide shortage. But there was a real risk that if the virus had continued for another week or two, that doctors and nurses would have to start making really horrendous judgments about who got a ventilator and who did not. Seeing that on the horizon, a consortium of these companies at the Navy Yard set about to design a um, a ventilator. And I should say that when the city reached out to some of the main producers of ventilators, what we were told was that they would restart their assembly lines and ventilators would start rolling off in July, three, four months later. And that was just like way too late. Didn't answer the, didn't answer the call, didn't answer the question. And so our companies developed a ventilator, had a working prototype within weeks uh, got FDA approval for emergency use a couple of weeks thereafter. It actually took a lot longer to get the FDA approval, even though that was pretty quick. It took longer to get the FDA approval than to design the, the, the machine. Um, and then they manufactured them um, and they open sourced that design. And so uh, producers anywhere in the world 
um, can now produce this ventilator, which costs thousands of dollars to manufacture instead of tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so, you know, I think that's like another example of just the ingenuity and the entrepreneurial spirit that our tenants brought and the diversity of expertise where they may not know much about, you know, financial derivatives, but they know, they know how to make a, a high-tech, high-quality product in a pinch. You know, besides the individual tenants inside the building, I mean, just walking around or riding a bike or driving around the perimeter from one side to the other, you can see really a transformation that's taken place throughout the last, I'd say, couple of years, even through the pandemic. Can you give a little bit of an update on some of these new buildings and the construction that's taken place recently? Because I think it's really phenomenal and, and important for people to know what's behind some of the, um, the buildings. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, in the last six years or so, the Navy Yard has um, built new or renovated formerly vacant buildings uh, for 2.6 million square feet of space. Uh, so that is more than one World Trade Center wow. that we have brought online at the Navy Yard, again, with this social mission of creating high quality middle class jobs that are accessible to all New Yorkers. Um, that's led to a explosion in the, um, in the worker population at the yard. Uh, we were at about 6,000 or so uh, jobs at the yard. Uh, four or five months before COVID, we hit 10,000. Um, two months before COVID, we hit 11,000. And just before COVID, we were within a rounding error of 12,000. So we were at a pace of adding 1,000 jobs every, every couple months. Um, COVID has certainly slowed that down, but we continue to sign new leases. Uh, we've completed new buildings uh, during COVID, which are um, leasing up. And we've just yesterday announced um, leases signed um, in the last of our new buildings that occupy half of half that building with some very exciting tenants, some of the top quality design firms in the, um, in the country. Uh, so, you know, what we have found is that certainly pre-COVID, there was a real, um, you know, Brooklyn in general, but certainly the Navy Yard was emerging not as a low cost option compared to other locations, but actually a preferred location for high-tech product design and manufacturing companies. And while that's slowed down somewhat during COVID, um, it certainly has not stopped uh, we've signed dozens of new leases for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of square feet of new space. Um, and we don't see that, um, that stopping anytime soon. That's a great success story. I'm happy to hear that. And Joanna, we were talking a little bit before about some of the kind of public-private um, partnerships, maybe I would call them, or you could define a little bit clearer, but maybe you can give an example of some of those relationships, whether it's uh, Doc72 or, or Steiner. Um, well, uh, little known fact, the Navy Yard is, in addition to the home of all of these um, incredible manufacturing and hardware companies, uh, we, were, we also house the largest um, movie studio or studios outside of Hollywood in the form of Steiner Studios, um, who um, is another industry that's been, obviously everyone was shut down, but has been very successful and robust in, um, in COVID. Um, and there's been a huge demand for their stages and their space. Um, that is a collaboration uh, between the Navy Yard and Steiner. 
um, some of your favorite probably Netflix and, and uh, Hulu shows are filmed right here in New York and many of them at Steiner Studios. Um, in addition, um, you know, we uh, partnered, that we partnered uh, with Steiner, not on a film development, but on a development of um, Wegman Supermarket and adjacent light manufacturing and creative office space on the Dumbo side of the yard. And those are comprised of several buildings um, that have been opened over the last 18 months. The most recent one um, we just completed in the partnership with Steiner, uh, I believe it was like September, 2020. Um, and as David described, like leasing has been at a steady cliff um, in both of those buildings. And then as you um, mentioned, we also have a partnership on the waterfront uh, in the form of Dock 72. It's a uh, new building, uh, Class A office space developed uh, in partnership with Boston Properties and the Rudin Company. Um, and uh, it's, you know, an incredible it, architectural piece um, to the yard. I sort of say that um, when people talk about like, well, what kind of space do you have? We have buildings built from 1850 to yesterday. <laughs> um, so we have, we certainly have some of that large, like, um, higher ceilings and fewer columns and more flexible space. We have newer light manufacturing and creative space and we have class A office space as well. So there's a huge diversity across our 5 million square feet that are what we call under roof or built um, because we also have um, a lot of uh, space that's open air um, where people need to do things outside. Um, and we also have plans to further develop the yard um, uh, and build additional uh, light manufacturing space as we start to see this trend towards, um, as David described, having manufacturing in urban places and spaces and, and needing that diversity uh, for a vibrant city economy. Um, we look forward to, in the next few years, embarking um, upon a, both a design and build challenge to create new space at the Navy Yard um, to house these manufacturing and, and design firms. How much land or property is still available to be developed on the Navy Yard? <laughs> um, it's sort of an existential question, but quite a lot. Um, uh, we have last time we took a tour, I yeah. think it was an old hospital. Yeah you know, the, the old shipbuilding days. Yeah, um, the, like I mentioned um, earlier, I think it, you, the, this was the site of a naval hospital um, and it is a very beautiful, um, I believe from the 1860s or 70s uh, building that is not in great shape right now, but is going through a full restoration um, just as we have done on many of our buildings at the yard. The first step was really to take the buildings that we inherited from the Navy which had been somewhat neglected since they left or even maybe before they left um, and restore them. Uh, for example, building 77, which is where our offices are headquartered um, and we are joined there by a number of interesting companies including Catford Jewelry and, and Lafayette 148 and a number of other manufacturers. That building was built in the lead up to World War II um, in 1941 and had no windows until mm -hmm. Three years ago when we undertook a 200 million dollar renovation of the 
uh, building and created space that can really be utilized by manufacturing companies and, and people who are creating things today. So first step was to renovate what we had and rehabilitate what we had. And uh, as David mentioned, we just completed the last of our major renovations um, and have two incredible companies joining our community um, in that building. Uh, one is uh, called Smart Design. They design many of the household goods that you use every day, probably many of them in your kitchen cabinet. Um, they uh, are a major partner of OXO. Um, so like all the can openers and little kitchen utilities that you have, they've they have a universal approach to design. And uh, joining them in that building is uh, Daedalus, uh, which is a, a Broadway uh, theater production company. And they do a lot of the sets and, and props for Broadway. Um, in addition to other things, for example, um, they were also responsible for building uh, and for fabricating the 400 lanterns that lined the mall last week um, for Joe Biden's inauguration. Wow. Uh, they did a, yeah, it was amazing. They did a memorial to those who have, um, to those who we've lost during uh, the COVID crisis and they built 400 lanterns to represent uh, each a thousand lives. And um, it was very, very moving, very inspirational, but you know, our companies are involved in, we're very proud of it, but they're involved in like lots of things and lots of ways that you might not expect. And we're really excited to bring these two new uh, tenants to the yard. Well, it's nice to hear how Brooklyn put its stamp on the inauguration. <laughs> there, no. there were also a few, um, I have to, I have to mention, there were also a few fashion um, contributions to the inauguration. Um, Let's hear it. Yeah, um, one of our companies, uh, storytellers and creators were the fabricators for Kamala Harris's outfit. Hmm. Um, and uh, Lafayette 148 uh, produced the jacket for one of Joe Biden's grandchildren. So it was fun to watch that um, and we, a proud moment for the yard. Who would have known that? I love it. I love it. That's- Well, now you know. <laughs> and I really love how you guys are restoring these historic buildings. Yep. You know, I mean, I, I remember when I saw that hospital, it was literally like a movie set because it was such a, you know, unique building. Yep. So it's really nice to hear that that's being restored. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about the equity incubator, because this, I guess, is an opportunity for African-American or Hispanic and other entrepreneurs, women-owned businesses to grow their companies. So, so can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, this is, uh, this is something that we've actually been working on for, um, frankly, the better part of two years or so. Um, it's a request for proposals uh, that we ended up, um, we were ready to release it just before COVID and we um, stopped because of obvious reasons uh, and did not release it um, until uh, September of this year, September, October, uh, I'm sorry, of last year of 2020. Um, and the RFP requested ideas about how to specifically support the needs of minority and or women-owned um, companies. Um, there are plenty of statistics uh, that you can cite, but the representation, particularly in high growth um, and tech areas uh, for entrepreneurs of color are, you know, are, are frankly quite embarrassing for our country and our city. Um, it comes nowhere close um, to 
uh, representing the full and great diversity of our of our city. Uh, and so we um, released a very wide open RFP, um, basically asking respondents to um, propose what they thought this community of entrepreneurs needed. We did not want to be too prescriptive. Um, and um, you know, we released it in the fall of 2020. And so perhaps not surprisingly, there was a huge amount of interest and, and focus on, on, on these issues. So we actually ended up receiving 21 responses to this RFP just two weeks ago. So it's still a little bit too early to tell uh, where this ends. Um, but in nearly 20 years uh, in these public-private partnerships that I, I've been working on these public-private partnerships, I don't think I've ever seen an RFP that had 21 responses. So we were quite heartened by the, um, by the number of responses and the strength of the responses. Um, and you know, expect that this will become a real central piece to, um, to the Navy Yard. And, um, you know, we, something that we talk about all the time is that we are trying to put together a truly equitable central business district. And this question I ask myself all the time, what are all of the pieces that a modern class A city needs to put in place to, meet, to make their central business district truly equitable? truly representative of their entire city. Um, and, you know, we've got a lot of those pieces in place, um, but this is certainly one, um, we believe one, one important piece of that. And we're excited to, um, to, to develop the concept and then excited to, uh, you know, create it in a way that it's replicable for other, for other cities. And that's ultimately the goal. I feel like the two of you run a city within a city. I mean, it's really tremendous, all the moving parts within the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Yeah, you know, we refer to it as a city within the city all the time. I mean, when it when it snows, we plow the streets. When there are potholes to fill, we, we fill the potholes. Uh, so it is, um, it, it really is like that. And it is really a, a truly extraordinary opportunity because again, we can, you know, we, we have control over all of those levers. And we can ask ourselves the question of how do you make um, how do you make an equitable central business district, and then pull all of those levers, you know, one at a time or all at once um, to make that actually happen. And we're blessed with a truly extraordinary asset. We have 300 acres on the Brooklyn waterfront. Uh, for context, that's about a third of the size of Central Park half the size of Prospect Park in Brooklyn. Wow! It's an asset that um, any nonprofit would. Uh, love to have on um, uh, on their balance sheet, and we're able to then leverage that to try to create a kind of city and kind of economy that you know that we can all be proud of. I guess like a city, it's like ever evolving, and there's many different you know agendas and roles and objectives. But what would you guys say, looking back in you know uh, the next generation from now at Brooklyn Navy Yard, what would you like to see as the legacy for Brooklyn Navy Yard? Maybe just from each of you, kind of your thoughts on even after your career, after Brooklyn Navy Yard, what would you really like to be the, the lasting impact that the Navy Yard has? Yeah, I can, um, I can go first. I mean, I, I think it is that question of what are all of the pieces that you need to put in place to create an equitable central business district? We try to be very realistic about the kinds of jobs that can be created in Brooklyn and at the Navy Yard. 
we focus on manufacturers, but the reality is that the kind of manufacturing that can take place in New York is very different than it was 50, 60, 100 years ago. There were probably millions of people, certainly millions of family members, who had a family member who came to the Navy Yard, got a job 100 years ago um, in a classic manufacturing role and made their way to the middle class. Uh, we don't actually know that number precisely, but I'm sure it's millions of people who lie, who you know had a inflection moment in their life where they and their families' lives got a lot better when they got their job at the Navy Yard. And for a long time, you come to the Navy Yard with limited education as a new immigrant, limited English ability, and get a high quality middle-class job that would launch you into the middle class. And while we still remain focused on creating those accessible jobs, the reality is that technology and the skills required to use the technology are permeating every element of our economy. And there's nothing that we, the city of New York, the state of New York, the federal government can do to stop that. So we try to be very realistic and honest with ourselves about the reality of what are the kinds of jobs that we can create and support at the Navy Yard. And the skills and, um, that are required for that are, are increasing and there's nothing we can do to stop that. And so then we try to be really realistic about saying, okay, what are the barriers that the full diversity of Brooklyn, full diversity of New York, those citizens are gonna face in accessing those jobs? And what do we need as a nonprofit? What do we need to do to put in, what do we need to put in place so that it is still the case that those jobs are truly accessible? And so we have over the last, you know, seven, 10 years, uh, built out a wide variety of programs to make sure that New Yorkers of all education levels, of all histories, have access to those skills and jobs. We opened a new high school at the Navy Yard, which has created, become the model for a next generation of career and technical education high schools. That's a concept that we created. We funded the, the, um, the research and design of that school. We are heavily, heavily involved in the administration of it, even though it's a Department of Education public high school. Uh, we have partnerships with the CUNY and SUNY system, many, many, many partnerships connecting their students to these next generation robotics and engineering companies, um, this equity incubator. Um, and so, you know, it's a real, um, I, I think the legacy for me will be um, to, look at, to look at the full picture of what we've put together at the yard um, and say, this is a forward looking next generation economy, but one that has done everything it can not to leave swaths of Brooklyn behind. Well said. Joanna, if somebody is interested in relocating their business or even job career opportunities at Brooklyn Navy Yard, how can they go about, what would you recommend to them? Um, well, I think if you're interested in finding out more about spaces at the Navy Yard, um, you can email our leasing team um, or just visit our website at brooklynnavyyard.org um, where you can be connected to our leasing team. Um, uh, we are very excited to bring and, and have continued to do um, tours with folks in a socially distant manner and and um, very excited to meet new companies that are excited to move to Brooklyn or, or move to the yard. Um, and then in terms of workforce development, um, we actually have an entire employment center, um, again, also accessible through our website um, with a team dedicated to helping people um, prepare their resumes and also um, connecting them directly with jobs 
um, on the yard and really being that bridge between the community, um, particularly the three NYCHA developments that border our, our, our gates and our perimeter um, and, and the yard itself. So providing like a way in essentially. Well, Dave and John, I want to commend you both because you've done an extraordinary job at the Navy Yard. And I think coming out of this pandemic, um, job creation and training is more important than ever. So I want to thank both of you for your time and, and sharing the story of the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Thank you for having us. This was great. This is terrific. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Make sure to tune in to a new episode of Schneps Connects every week. Visit schnepsmedia.com or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts.